Hey, good morning. Lower your expectations. <laughs> Rhonda sent me a text yesterday with uh, Pastor Chuck's comments about me at the end of the Facebook time, I guess. One of the best communicators of the gospel you've ever heard. He's bold with the spirit of Joshua. And then I saw the uh, restoration page. He's a world changer. Lower your expectations, right? We're just here to see what the Lord has to say. Man, how cool it is to hang out at Restoration. And uh, we were sharing a little bit in the uh, office prior to our time. I think we're about 30 years in relationship now. Steve says that I spoke for the first time at Mentone in 1991. And I've been hanging out a lot ever since. And then Pastor Don and I started uh, hanging out for lunch 20 years ago, probably, on a regular basis. And I just wanted to sit with the elders of the church and learn. And uh, so that's why I started to sit with Don. He's 20 years older than I am. And we just felt like... Uh, not quite, but anyway, uh, <laughs> felt like it'd be good to get together. And so uh, I love you guys and a whole bunch of you guys I know from other environments. Hey, as Pastor already mentioned, we live in tough times. Amen. Amen. Uh, the world uh, is, is crazy. Life is crazy. My neighborhood's crazy. Your neighborhood's crazy. And it seems like if we're not careful, we can get caught up in the chaos and miss the Christ in the middle of the chaos. Right? We can get caught up in the emotion of the moment. We can get caught up in the frustration. We can get caught up in the dialogue and, and the mantra of what others are saying to us. And if we're not careful, we can get moved off of center. We can get moved off to the place where we're supposed to be. And so when Pastor Chuck reached out to me a couple of days and said, hey, can you come and share on Sunday since I'm out? I said, yeah. And I immediately heard the Lord say, talk about this. And it's a little bit of a weighty subject. We're living in weighty times and it's a little bit of a weighty subject. But I want us to dive in this morning and talk about this idea around, are we being intimate with the handmaidens? We're being intimate with the handmaidens. That's not where we need to be, but sometimes I think we move in that direction. Most of you know the story. It starts in Genesis chapter 15 where God promises to Abraham and Sarah that they will have a son, that their descendants will be as the sands of the sea and the stars of the sky more than you can count. And so this story goes on for a number of years and the promise is given, but the promise doesn't come to pass in a timely fashion in the mind of Abraham and Sarah. It doesn't happen in the frame, time frame they want. It doesn't happen in the way that they want. And so they begin to take matters into their own hands. When the time frame passed that they thought it should have happened in, they came up with their own plan. And you know the story that Sarah gave her handmaiden Hagar to Abraham. And Abraham and Hagar were intimate. They slept together and she became pregnant and she gave birth to a son named Ishmael. And all seemed fine for a minute. For a minute, their decision to sleep with the handmaiden seemed to be fine. There's a young boy that has been born, and he's running around and playing, and it's, and it's Abraham's offspring, and there's joy in the camp because there is young life where there has not been young life before. But then God's promise does come to pass, and Sarah becomes pregnant, and she gives birth, as you know, to Isaac. And, and as time begins to pass, some 13 years later, one day they're playing, the children are playing, and she sees Ishmael playing and making fun of Isaac, and she gets offended at that, and she tells Abraham to send Hagar and her son away. And so the scripture tells us now in Genesis chapter 21, beginning at verse 9. One day Sarah saw the son that Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abraham, poking fun at her son Isaac. She told Abraham, get rid of this slave woman and her son. No child of this slave is going to share inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter gave great pain to Abraham. After all, Ishmael was his son. But God spoke to Abraham. Don't feel badly about the boy and your maid. Do whatever Sarah tells you. Your descendants will come through Isaac. 
Regarding your maid son, be assured that I'll also develop a great nation from him. He, he's your son too. Then the scripture says in verse 14, Abraham got up early the next morning. He got some food together and a canteen of water for Hagar, and he put it on the, her back and sent her away with the child, and she wandered off in the desert of Beersheba. When the water was gone, she left her child under a shrub and went off 50 yards or so. She said, I can't watch my son die. As she sat, she began to break into sobs. Meanwhile, God heard the boy crying. The angel of God called from heaven to Hagar. What's wrong, Hagar? Don't be afraid. God has heard the boy and knows the fix he's in. Get up now and go get the boy. Hold him tight. I'm going to make of him a great nation. Just then God opened her eyes. She looked and saw a well of water. She went to it and filled her canteen and gave the boy a long, cool drink of water. God was on the boy's side as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became a skilled archer. And his, wife, and his mother got him a wife from Egypt. You see, I, I want us to be reminded this morning that God has spoken promises to us. Amen? Yeah. Pastors already mentioned God is our healer. He is our deliverer. He is, our, he is the one who will come to us and set us free from our bondage. He will restore our marriages. He will bring provision. God will do all of these things, and God makes these declarations to us. And when God makes a declaration to us, that declaration will come to pass in God's timing and God's way because God has spoken it. Unfortunately, as men and women who live in these finite bodies and in these minds that want things to happen in an instant gratification kind of environment like we live in today, we want God's will to be his promised will to come today. And we want it to happen now. And we want it to happen our way. When the fact of the matter is, God gives us two kinds of words. He gives us a rhema word, which is a word for right now. This is right now. It's going to happen right now this way. And he also gives us a progressive word, which means this will come to pass, but it may be some time down the road, and it may be some journey you have to walk to get there, and what you have to do and what I have to do when God gives us a progressive word is stay faithful in the journey and stop looking at the handmaidens around us. You see, we, we get in a hurry sometimes, and we don't like the fact that our prayer hasn't been answered like we want in the time we want, and that God's plan hasn't come to pass the way he said it would, and that the purpose hasn't been revealed. And we start trying to create our own purpose and create our own plan. And we go, it's good, it's okay, and for a minute when we veer off of God's plan, it might be okay. For a minute it was okay with Hagar, and it was okay with Ishmael. For a minute, things were fine, but all of a sudden, 13 years later, it comes to light that this was not God's plan. And now destruction seems to come and death is on the verge of happening and pain and disappointment are there because they stepped outside of the purpose. Now, we all know the promise in Joel chapter 2, right? Uh, we quote this a lot of times. It's a lot of scripture I'm going to share with you this morning. But the, in Joel chapter 2, starting at verse 21, we have this promise from the Lord. Fear not, earth, glad, and celebrate. That's a good word for today. Amen. God has done great things. Fear not, wild animals. The fields and meadows are greening up. The trees are bearing fruit again. Again, children of Zion, celebrate. Be glad in your God. He's given you a teacher to train you how to live right. Teaching like rain out of heaven, showers of word to refresh and nourish your soul. Plenty of food for your body. Silos full of grain. I'll make up for the years of the locusts, God said. The great locust devastation. As we move down, he says, you'll eat your fill of good food. You'll be full of praises to your God. 
you will know without question, God says, that I am in the thick of your life taking care of things for you. That I am your God. Yes, your God. And then he says this. This is what we love to quote. I will pour out my spirit on every kind of people. Your sons will prophesy. Also, your daughters, your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. I'll even pour my spirit out on the servants, men and women both. I'll set wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below. Whoever cries out, help God, will get help. Hallelujah. Those are good words from God. The spirit is going to be poured out. It's going to be a wind blowing across the land. He's going to unleash the wells of the water that are going to flow through the land. Young men will dream dreams. Old men will prophesy. Your sons and your daughters will come to me. How many's excited about that prophetic word? Say, I am. I am. You know how long ago that was given? 2,800 years. And you know what? It hadn't happened yet. We're still waiting on it. 2,800 years ago. God promises this purpose and this destiny and this plan. The word was spoken specifically to the people of Israel. Right, and I hang out with the missionaries, been living in Israel 35 years, and Ryan and I visit there a couple times, and there's all kind of cool stuff happening. But their young men are not yet dreaming dreams about the power of the Messiah. Their old men are not yet prophesying. Their sons and daughters and servants have yet not come to this place of declaring that Jesus, Yeshua, the Son of God, is the Messiah that they have been waiting on for generations. They're not yet there. And you know what's happened? Unfortunately, people have started to look at the handmaiding because the 2,800-year-old Word of God has not yet come to pass. We started to create our own environments that look like sons prophesying and dreaming dreams. We've started to create our own environments that feel like the servants are doing what the Lord says. We've created these environments and we've decided to marry the handmaiden. We say, well, Bruce, what does a handmaiden look like this morning? Well, let's just think about that for a minute. You see, we sing this song, we declare Joel chapter 2. But sometimes when it doesn't go the way we want, we become intimate with things that are not a part of the promise it was promised to Sarah that she would bear a son. And now years later after that, the promise had not happened. So they, instead of waiting on the revelation of God, they become disobedient. Let me ask you some couple tough questions this morning. You ready? Everybody say, I'm ready. Yes. All right. You might not say that after I get finished. Are we ready? Is it possible, is it possible, sons and daughters of God, that our attention has been diverted from the promise, from the purpose, and from the destiny that Yahweh has spoken? Is it possible that the people who named the name of Jesus have become more intimate with the political situation in our land than they have with the one who hung on the cross for us? Is it possible that the racial reconciliation cause has been elevated above the righteousness cause? Is it possible that our time watching the news far exceeds our time in worship and communion with our Creator? Abortion and gender identity and the breakdown of the definition of biblical marriage are all just and worthy causes. But what if they are actually the handmaiden and we are choosing the handmaiden to invest our time instead of investing our time in the one who will bring the seed of purpose into our life? Sarah was Abraham's wife and the promised carrier of his son and of descendants that would outnumber the sands of the sea and the stars of the sky. Hagar was the handmaiden and there was value in her role, but she was not supposed to be Abraham's first priority. I rarely watch or listen to the opinions of others in either the news world or the religious world. Sort of a loner and all that stuff, but what I have noticed in the past year is that so many who name the name of Jesus have come out forcefully 
in recent months around their care for their community during, the, during COVID, around racial injustice in our world, around the platforms of the political parties, and not nearly many, as many are coming out boldly about the fact that the sin in our land is running rampant because the church too often has become more intimate with the handmaidens than with the one who carries our destiny in his heart. Our ministry, our ministry downtown at City of Refuge houses hundreds every year who've experienced homelessness, but that's not my deepest calling. We serve children from broken homes and provide educational and recreational opportunities for them, but that's not my deepest calling. We go into the prisons and we lead a program for men in their last year of incarceration, helping them to be prepared to reenter society and be successful, but that's not my deepest calling. We have trained and put over 500 individuals a year the past three years in the workforce in Atlanta, but that's not my deepest calling. We've housed over 800 women in the past seven years who've been sexually trafficked and exploited, but that's not my deepest calling. My deepest calling is to abandon my own life, my dreams, my wishes. My deepest calling is to abandon my desires, my personal preferences, my political beliefs, my bigotry, my prejudice, my racism, and my deepest calling is to run headlong, full speed, into the heart of the one who spoke this world into existence. My deepest calling is to sit at the feet who created man from the dust to the ground, the one who sent his son who chose to die on a cross to forgive me of my sins. I have to get, I have to choose every day to ignore the handmaidens that the enemy would bring to me and look again upon the beauty of my Savior and the beauty of my Creator. Listen, the handmaiden will always be beautiful. The handmaiden will always be enticing. The handmaiden will always be seductive. The handmaiden handmaiden will always promise me what she cannot deliver. The handmaiden will take me on paths that I should not travel. And every day I have to rise again and I have to acknowledge there are handmaidens all around me that want my attention and they want my affection and they want my emotion. But there is a God who created me and created you and sent his son and established him as our Messiah and hung him on a cross and raised him from the dead. And my sole focus has to be on him and not on the handmaidens that the enemy would bring to me. My deepest calling is him. And out of him comes my ministry to those who are broken and weary and worn out. And if we're not careful, we can get caught and captured by the handmaiden. Listen, this morning, I hope that you will find whatever handmaiden might exist in your life and that you will run away from him or her or it as fast as you can. I'll tell you a little bit of a graphic story. I won't surprise many of you here today. Uh, if you've been, for those that are visitors today, I apologize. Come back next week. Pastor Chuck is wonderful. All right? So please do not count this against your experience here. The kind of work we do downtown puts us in, in, in contact with all kind of people. We, we brought a lady out, out of up north somewhere. It doesn't even matter where from. And, and she was a madam. She ran a house of prostitution. She, had been, she, worked the, she worked in that trade herself, and she ran a house, and, and she came to know Christ somehow. And they, somebody called us, and we brought her down and got her out of that environment. And, and she came down, and she was living with one of the families in our church. And, and, and we thought things were going well, and she was loving God, and, and she was praying. And we thought, man, we found deliverance here. And, and she asked us, she called and asked to see me one day. And I said, sure, you can come in and see me. And so my office sits here, and my assistant's office is almost directly across the hallway, a little bit of, a, of an angle there. And, and so did she. 
young lady walks in, and, and she was a good-looking young lady, and she, she had all of the stuff that goes with what the trade that she was from. And, and so she was, she was a handmaiden, and she was an attractive handmaiden. And she comes in my office, and as she comes in, she closes the door all the way. And I got up and opened the door all the way. And, and she stood up and she closed it about halfway, and I got up and opened it all the way. And she got up and closed it a little bit more. She said, I just need a little privacy just to talk to you a little bit. And so the door was closed just a little bit, and I could look straight across and see Lorenda, my assistant at the time. I could see her at her desk, and I'm like, I'm like, look at me. And so we've got some protection there. So we share and we talk, and, and she tells me some of the stuff going on, and we pray together. And, and this is when Rhonda and I and our five daughters were living in the third floor of the 65-year-old church building downtown. So Rhonda was right upstairs, living upstairs. You know those stories, crazy stuff that happened. And so we're living there, and so we get to the end of the conversation. As we get to the end of the conversation, I say a prayer, and I walk over to the door, and as I walk over to the door, this woman reaches out and grabs me. And I'm not talking about a nice little pastoral hug. She grabs me, and all kind of stuff starts happening, and I'm like, ah, right? And I sling a door open, go, Lorinda, she's ready to leave. <laughs> Lorinda walked around, and I ran up. I didn't walk. I ran up the steps. And I said, Rhonda, come here. And she came and looked at me. I said, look down the parking lot. That's what was on the car. I said, you see that woman right there? Rhonda said, yeah. I said, a woman just gave me huggy hug, Right? <laughs> That wasn't just a hug, that was a huggy hug. Every time you see her, you protect me from now on, right? Amen. And Rhonda's like, I, I'll take care of her. Amen. It's not enough to stay in the presence of the handmaiden and think you'll be okay. It's not enough to stand in the presence of idols and think, well, I'm just here, but I'm not really bowing down yet. It's not enough to have the enticement bring you just a little bit closer. We need to rise up and run away from that which is of the enemy and run to that which is of the Father. We have to run to the cross. We have to run to the altar. We have to run to the throne and kneel in his presence. We have to get away from the things that the enemy is trying to pull us back from. See, I have to decide and you have to decide. Are we going to allow the handmaidens to entice us? Are we going to allow position and power and possessions and prestige to entice us? Are we going to allow, are we going to choose our church based on the handmaiden that they do the best with? Are we going to figure out who's got the best light show and the best video and the best worship and, and, and greets us best in the park? We turn off a rucker road this morning as a man in his coat and bogging waving at us out at the street. That's really cool, but that's not going to decide where I go to church. Right? By the way, I thought you should have been in here having a cup of coffee. It's cold out there. Anyway, <laughs> what, 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 how do we make our decisions? How do we land? What is it? What are we looking for? The smooth talking, the best presenters, the ones that look the best. What are we looking for? And so this happens. They go, they send Hagar and Ishmael away. They send them away. Because they're the ones that made the bad. Listen, Hagar's not the one that made the bad decision. She had to do what Sarah said. She had to do what Abraham said. She was their servant. It's certainly not Ishmael's fault, right? He's just a child born out of their ignorance and out of their disobedience. But they're the ones who get sent away. Somebody else always suffers when you and I choose to be disobedient. Somebody else always has to pay a part of our price when we're sinful. And walk away from God. And so they're sent away. What happens to them when the water was gone? The scripture says she left the child some under a shrub and went off 50 years or so. And she said, I can't watch my son die. And she sat and broke into sobs. Now think with me for just a minute as I hurry along. He's now 13 years old. 
So this is not just one day in a desert. This is not just two days in a desert. They have been in the desert many days now, and they are out of food and they are out of water. And her 13-year-old son is so deprived of food and water that can, she can see that he is going to die. This is not a temporary, this is not a short t- amount of time. This is a long period of time. And she lays him under a shrub. He's so weak he can't even continue to walk. She lays her own son down and goes away some 50 yards and begins to weep and says, I can't watch my son die. Meanwhile, God, everybody say God. God. Meanwhile, God heard the boy crying. The angel, lay, uh, the angel of God called to heaven, from heaven to Hagar. What's wrong, Hagar? Don't be afraid. God has heard the boy, and he knows the fix he's, and I know the fix he's in. Up now, go get the boy. Hold him tight. I'm going to make of him a great nation. Just then, God opened her eyes. She looked, and she saw a well of water. She went to it and filled her canteen and gave the boy a long, cool drink. You see, I, 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 this is my conviction. Too many of us who name the name of Christ. I don't know where you are personally. I'm not passing any judgment on you or anybody else. I'm just saying let's evaluate ourselves. Too many of us have wandered away at some point in our life from the one who has promised us purpose and destiny and the child of our youth now going to come in our old age. And we become frustrated because it feels like it's been 2,800 years since the word was prophesied and it's not yet to pass. And we have become intimate with the handmaidens. And because of that, there have been things that have happened in our life and others have been hurt. And now there's somebody somewhere laying under the shrub of their life dying because they don't have the water from the well of the Father. They don't have the bread of life that you and I possess that we should be sharing with them. They don't have the joy that comes from a believer whose cup is overflowing. They they have not heard about he who has enough love for 8 billion souls. They don't know. And they often don't know because we're talking about stuff that is not eternal. We're taking all of our time and our energy and effort and our frustration and our aggravation and we're spending all of our conversation about stuff that will pass away. When the fact of the matter is God and his kingdom will never pass away and we should be a part of the process of making sure individuals come to a relationship with him so they never pass away. They have the opportunity to have eternal life and to live with him and you and me forever and ever and ever. They're lying under a shrub. I hope this morning that God will speak to us like he did to Hagar here in chapter 21. we, We often are sobbing and weeping, but sometimes we're sobbing and weeping, Mark, over the wrong thing. If more people become passionate followers of Christ, guess what? We won't have to deal with all the sinful issues that we fuss and fight about all the time because the more people that know Jesus Christ, the more people that will choose their life according to his plan and his will and his purpose, and sin will become less acceptable in our society. We're not going to change things by legislation. We're not going to change things by arguments. We're not going to change things by debate. The only way we're going to change things is by the power and the love and the will and the word of Almighty God. That's the only way that any change is ever going to come to my life or your life or the world in which we live. And so the angel speaks to Hagar and says, open your eyes. Look around. The baby is crying and dying. Right there's a well in front of you full of water. Man, I pray this morning I'm not walking by the well and missing it because I'm looking at somebody else. 
I pray I'm not walking by the well and missing it because I'm caught up in some conversation and some debate and some dialogue and some ideology. I pray that when the well is put in front of me, I go, I got to drink deeply from this well because I need to be full because I bet you I'm going to run into somebody that needs to water this well. And if I'm not full, I won't have the opportunity to give it to them. Man, I want to see the well every day. She sees the well. And she goes and she draws water. And the scripture says, I love this phrase in in Genesis chapter 1. And she gave the boy a long, cool drink of water. Who in your life needs a long, cool drink of his water this morning? Who in your neighborhood needs a long, cool drink of his water this morning? Who that you work with needs a long, cool drink of water this morning? Who sitting in this sanctuary this morning needs a long, cool drink of water? I believe this morning that there are too many children, too many poor, too many homeless, too many abused, too many broken, too many rejected. I believe there are too many addicted, too many weary, too many worn out who are lying in their desert under their shrub. They're hot, they're hungry, and they're thirsty. I believe there are too many there, but I also believe that God hears their cry just as he did the baby's cry. I believe he hears their pain, he hears their suffering, he hears their heartache, and here's the missing piece. The children are there, the broken are there, the the, the ones who've been trapped are there. The ex-prisoners are there. The the millionaire who lives in the nice house is there with his alcoholism and his loneliness and his divorce. They're all there. They're all under the shrubs and they're all crying out for life. And God hears their cry and God has a well. The only missing piece sometimes is those who will go draw the water and share a drink. You see, that's God's plan now. God's not, it doesn't seem like he's going to drop manna out of the sky anymore. It it doesn't seem like he's going to drop quail anymore. It doesn't seem like he's going to just cause the water to flow over them. God's plan now is that you and I who name the name of Jesus Christ will get up from our own places of struggle or difficulty, whatever the case may be, and allow him to fill us in such a way that our cup overflows and that we take a cup of water and give it to the broken, the weary, and the worn out. A long, cool drink, not a sip, not a touch, not a tablespoon. We sit with them until they have drank enough that they're able to get up and go on their own. Don't you want that to be what Restoration Church is? That you're a long, cool drink of water for this community. You're a long, cool drink of water for students. You're a long, cool drink of water for senior adults living by themselves. You're a long, cool drink of water for those who are trying to find their way. So how do we do that? How do we break free of the handmaiden? How do we get back to the one we were destined to be? Y'all come up here and do something, whatever you, you know, play something, sing something, make something up. (laughs) If you're really led by the Spirit, you'd know that's where I was in my sermon. So anyway, (laughs) how do we do that? How do we break free of the handmaiden? How do we get back to the one? Well, you know what? We start, we love quoting the part of Joel where the prophecy of the sons dreaming dreams and the old man prophesied and the servants becoming active in the kingdom. But what has to happen? Here's what Joel says. But there's also this, he says, starting in verse 12 of Joel 2. It's not too late, God's personal message. Come back to me and really mean it. Come fasting and weeping. Sorry for your sins. Change your life and not just your clothes. Come back to God, your God. And here's why, here's why, oh dear Lord, here's why God is kind and merciful. He takes a deep breath and he puts up with a lot. The most patient God, extravagant in love, always ready to cancel cancel catastrophe. Who knows, maybe he'll do it right now. 
Maybe he'll turn around and show pity. Maybe when it's all said and done, there'll be blessings full and robust. Blow the ram's, ram's horn, trumpet in Zion, declare a day of repentance, a holy fast. Call a public meeting. Get everybody there. Consecrate the congregation. Make sure the elders come. Bring the children, even the nursing babies. Even men and women on their honeymoon, interrupt them and get them there. Between the sanctuary entrance and the altar, let the priest weep tears of repentance. We're 23 and a half years into an incredible ministry that God's given us downtown. And for years, it's grown rapidly and expanded. And as Don's mentioned, we've been recognized all over. It's been crazy what God's done. And we were just sort of, I, I don't know how to explain it. it. It wasn't sinful, but it was, we were just, I don't know if I just relaxed. I don't know if I, if I started enjoying hanging out with the handmaidens of popularity and speaking. And I don't know what happened. I, I, don't, I don't know. Somewhere, something shifted a little bit last year. We were in this big project, and, and we'd raised millions of dollars, and we were a, a couple million short of what we needed to finish something. We realized something wasn't going to happen, a big dream of Rhonda's and mine that wasn't going to come to pass that we'd been invested in. And, and right as all these things started to unravel, I got really sick, sickest maybe I've ever been, and I was basically down for about three weeks, lost a bunch of weight, couldn't go to work. It just just this heaviness, this brokenness, and, and, and we're at this place going, How, what, what in the world is going on after all these years of sowing? And all these years of giving and all these years, your promise says this. And I don't see it right now. And I remember, and and it's just sort of honesty, I I, I hid a lot of that from Rhonda. And there came a point where I knew it was time and we sat down one night and I remember I was sitting in a chair and she was on the sofa and then then we were lying down talking and and I just, I shared where we were. I shared all of the things and and all the frustration, the disappointment and how I was distracted and how this was eating at me and that was coming here and and, and we wept. And and she was heartbroken over some things and there was a lot of emotion and and, and it's, it's just a lot of unanswered questions. And I remember two or three days later, I don't know the exact timeline, but a few days later, I, I, I'd gotten up, I was able to go back to work, and was just trying to get my stride back, and I walked in the house, and Rhonda came walking out from wherever she was, and, and met me at the door in the kitchen. And she started, and she was weeping. And she said, we'll give it all up. And I just looked at her, she goes, Whatever it takes for us to see the promise of God fulfilled, we'll give it all up. If that means we personally give away everything we have, we'll we'll give it all up. We'll sell the house. We'll take everything out of savings. We'll pull everything out of investments. We'll take a pay cut. We'll move into the city. We'll do whatever is required. For us to get back, me personally, but for for us as an organization, whatever is required for us to get to that place again where we are totally abandoned to the call and totally dependent on the promise. Totally abandoned to the call and totally dependent on the promise. What is required? And what was required was that we would get to the place of saying, we're done. 
We're finished. We have no answers. We have no plan. We have no strategy. We have no map from which we move forward. One of the hardest seasons I've ever gone through. And we came out of that with this renewed purpose. And it's frustrating that you would let the handmaidens entice you 20-some years into a ministry, isn't it? It's frustrating for some of you that you let the handmaiden entice you 20-some years into your marriage. It's frustrating to some of you that you let the handmaiden of popularity or position or, or, or you, your difference of opinion with your friend about politics or race, you let that handmaiden take the place. It's frustrating, isn't it? It's frustrating to get to that point, but we just said, we're done, we're finished, we got nothing. And we went back to the way it was in the beginning where I just had to get up every morning going, it's worked pretty good, but the fact of the matter is the only reason it works because you made it work to start with, and I'm just sort of a jack leg hanging around here trying to do what you want me to do. The lying down, the laying down of our pride, the laying down of our self-sufficiency, the laying down of thinking we're the smartest person in the room or the most righteous person in the room, the crucifixion of the flesh on a daily basis, the Apostle Paul talks about, has to happen for us to be true givers of long, cool drinks of water. And at the end of the day, the Father turned around what he wanted to turn around. And 2020 was the most successful year in the history of City of Refuge. After we survived the desert under the shrub, thinking I might die in 2019, he brought a long, cool drink of water, and I still can't keep up with the flow of water. It's overwhelming. Most successful year. In the middle of COVID, we had more income in this past year than we've ever had. December was another record month. We put more people in the workforce. We housed more people. We rescued more people. While everybody else was shutting down, God said, I have unleashed a well for you so that you can do what I've called you to do. But the only way it happened was when we wailed before the Lord, when we repented, when I brought my team together and confessed to them what I felt like was some of my own shortcoming and shared with them what I thought was some of our organization's shortcoming. And we got before on our face before God and said, we have come back for a drink so we can be carriers of a drink. Would you stand with me this morning? I, again, I'm honored Pastor Chuck invited me to come speak. I, I, somebody here has been hanging out with the handmaiden, or I wouldn't have this word. I'm not saying the church is. I'm not saying the majority are. If there's one person you've been sleeping with a handmaiden, I pray today you kick her out to bed. Come on. Or him. Sometimes we just got to draw the lines. We just got to kick that thing that is wrong out of our life. Yes. We have to stop focusing our attention on all the things the world would bring to us, and we have to focus the fullness of our attention on him, and then he will show us what else deserves some part of our affection. I wonder who it is this morning that in your spirit you'll say, I, I will fall on my face between the entrance and the altar. 
and I will weep before my God. I will fall on my face between the entrance to the kingdom and the altar of repentance. And I, and I will ask God to show me what needs to be changed in me. I will ask him to reveal the path that I've traveled that's been not according to his will. And I'll backtrack and get back as soon as I can. If my attitudes have been wrong, if my words have been wrong, if my mentality has been wrong, if I've cut off friends because they believe something different than I believe, my Lord, everybody Jesus hung out with that believed something different than he did. To identify our friend groups and our uh, people we associate with by the color of their skin or how they feel about racism or who they voted for, that is sin. Yes. Our friend group should be every son and daughter who breathes the breath of life that God gave to them because we were all created in his image. There is neither male nor female. There's neither black nor white nor Asian nor Hispanic. There's neither right nor left. There's neither straight nor gay. We are all one in the mind and the heart of God, and we ought to see each other as a brother and sister of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray this morning that the spirit of intimacy with the handmaiden would be killed in my life and the lives of these individuals and those that might be listening somewhere else. The handmaiden's all dressed up, got on beautiful garments, hair's right, makeup's right, the enticement, the words are right, the attraction is right. And it's evil. It's wrong. And so, Father, I declare this morning, I will wait on the promise. I will wait on the promise. I will live every day as, to, as though today is the day the promise is fulfilled. But if it is not, I'll get up tomorrow and wait on the promise tomorrow. I'm tired of flirting with the handmaiden. I'm tired of being enticed by things that are not of you. I'm tired of my friends and my family being enticed by things that are not of you. And I want us to have a journey back to the heart, the heart of God, the heart of our Creator, the heart of Yahweh, the heart of Jehovah. I want to sit at your feet. I want to hear your voice. I want to feel your touch. I want to feel your breath on me. Father, I want to know that I am in your presence and that you have consumed me. Hallelujah. And then I want to get up and take water to somebody that's weary, somebody that's worn out, somebody that's dying, somebody that's frustrated. I want to carry a long, cool drink of water. Let me ask you this morning, if you need a long, cool drink of water, would you just lift your hand? If you need a long, cool drink of water, just lift your hand. Father, right now, in the name of your Son and by your Spirit, take a long, cool drink of water to these men and women with their hands lifted right now. Places of dryness, places of barrenness, places of fatigue, places of famine. Father, let them drink deeply of your well this morning. Let them drink deeply of your well this morning. Refresh them, encourage them, feed them, nourish them. Let them know you're working on their behalf. And now if you want to be one who carries water, raise your hand right now. Come on, raise your hand right now. I declare that this house is a house of water bearers right now. This house is a house of water carriers, Father. This house is a house that's going to get up in the morning and figure out where the well is today. And they're going to dip their pitcher down deep. They're going to drink to their full. And then they're going to dip it down again. Hallelujah. And they're going to go figure out who needs this water today. 
I don't care what they look like, what they sound like, where they come from. You show me who needs a drink of this water today, Father God, and I'm going to make sure they get refreshed by the blood and the spirit and the power and the resurrected Savior. I will be one who carries the water, and this community will be set on fire with the love and the power of Jesus Christ because Restoration Church carries water to everybody everywhere they go. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow. I feel like I've been drinking from the fire extinguisher. What a great word, Pastor Bruce. Wow. And you know, we're in a season of prayer and fasting. And how timely this is for all of us to surrender and dedicate and prepare our lives. And Rhonda, we're so glad to have you. You're the other part of this wonderful team. And for you that don't know, Rhonda is the sister of our pastor, Pastor Chuck. So she is a wonderful addition to ministry and what a great team they are together. And we love you guys so much. Thank you for sharing today. I want to encourage you now to um, lift up our pastor. We love Pastor Chuck. What a great ministry he has among us. But uh, he needs our prayers. He is uh, recovering. We will just say this week, I'm going to make a special effort just to cover Pastor Chuck and Candace and their family with prayer. Would you do that? Just make that commitment. Thank you so much. And let's just cover them. And now would you just bow your heads and receive the blessing of the Lord as we leave this place. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen and amen. God bless you and go with you today.